Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone this morning. I'd like to begin uh, by praying. Would you join me? Lord, we ask as we're gathered here today that you would speak to us. Our word, our hearts are open to your word. Your word is open before us. We're very thankful, Lord, for the chance to worship you and the way we've gotten to just now, and uh, we don't take that for granted. So speak to us today. And Lord, as your people gathered here on a Sunday morning, we intercede for our hurting nation. We pray for the family of Tyree Nichols. Since Cain killed Abel, Lord, and his blood cried out, you have been witness to our violence and our pain since day one. I can't imagine what you have witnessed and seen and how much it must break your heart. Help us, Lord, to realize that how much, uh, just how much we need you, how badly every person needs you, how badly our land, our nation, our people need you, Lord, and that you are the way, the truth, the life, the solution, the, the path before us, the answer to our questions and the fulfillment of our needs and the only thing, the only way that will save us. And Lord, help us to be your church. Help us to be a people of compassion and a people with a deep desire to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as my brother Jason just prayed, speak to us in your, through your word this morning. Use this time in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot for praying with me. We've been looking in this series at the church, our church even specifically, and it's easy to look around in our world today and wonder, church, is it even important? Like, what, what does it even mean in our society today to have a church, to be a part of a church? What does the church do? It can be easy to look around and wonder that. But we here believe and have come to understand just how deeply important the church really is. The church provides a vital and real spirituality based on ancient truth. The church is a community that surrounds and supports us through all the seasons of our lives. And these things are what every person needs. Now, we've been spending this month doing something we love around here, listening to Jesus, his stories, his conversations. And we've been doing that specifically through the lens of this question, who are we as a church, as a people who call Outlook our church home? And the things we're going to see rise out of the Scriptures this morning for us are these two concepts. We are a people who share and give generously. And we are a people who invite and welcome joyfully. And all of these things that we've been looking at all month, the goal is basically for you and I to be stirred up and say, that's who I want to be. And then turn to each other and say, is that what you want to be? If so, then let's do it. Let's go. And so this morning, we're going to spend our time in Luke chapter 19. You can grab your Bibles if you want. Go to your Bible app. Grab a Bible off the Bible card. If you don't own an easy-to-read copy of the Bible, you can write your name in one of those and take it home with you to keep. I'll also have the verses on the screen. But just so you know, we're in Luke 19. And it begins this way. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. Now I want to stop right here and just kind of do a little imagination uh, exercise 
with us and make some blanks here. And I want you to think about the fact that Jesus is not done entering towns. He's not done entering lives. He's not done entering places and spaces where you and I live. And He enters and He makes His way through. And there are people there, people with names, a man or a woman named. And feel free to put your name right there. What am I trying to say here? What I'm trying to say is I believe strongly in Jesus' living presence today. That we can read this story and know that it took place in a, in a town called Jericho at a certain time in Jesus' earthly ministry. and There was a certain guy there named Zacchaeus. And that is an absolutely true story. But that we can also take one step back, look a little farther out, so to speak, or a little wider, and realize that Jesus isn't done moving into spaces where people live. Jesus isn't done encountering people like you and me, and that that can happen even in your life today. These stories that we read in the scriptures, like the one we'll look at today, they replay themselves constantly all over the world every day. People encounter Jesus. People respond to him. You and I get to live that story out too. But today we're looking at Zacchaeus. He was, and let's get a little bio information on him, thanks to Luke. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, it says, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. Now let's just stop and think about what's going on here. Did Jesus know Zacchaeus by name because he's the son of God, he knows everybody? Or was Zacchaeus' reputation and position well known enough that Zacchaeus, or that Jesus simply knew of Zacchaeus as a matter of fact? I don't know, maybe both are true. Maybe his reputation preceded him a little bit. Who knows? But either way, Jesus knew Zacchaeus, recognized him up in that tree, and called him by name. And like Nicodemus from last week, Zacchaeus seemed to know something about Jesus. He's curious. He very much wants to know more. And again, that may be you today. You may know a little something about Jesus. Maybe you've had a little church background in your life, or maybe you just kind of picked him up in the, uh, along the way a little bit. You've gotten some impressions of Jesus. You've heard some things about Jesus. But there you want to know more. Man, that's an exciting place to be. So I'm glad you're here. Whether you're online uh, or you're here with me in the room, I'm just glad you get the, the chance to think a little bit more and look a little bit harder at Jesus. So, Zacchaeus, Jesus says, and then he follows. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, there was this thick crowd, right? But now everything centers in on Jesus and Zacchaeus. And, and the fact is, here's what's really happening. Few people in that crowd probably thought much of Zacchaeus. They didn't like him at all. They knew he was wealthy because he was dishonest and had overcharged some of them on their taxes. On top of that, he's a sellout, working for the oppressive Roman Empire. Why would Jesus stop and go to this guy's house for dinner? Well, as we're about to see, Zacchaeus, stopping to see Zacchaeus was like picking ripe fruit out of that tree. Zacchaeus was ready to get his life redeemed. I think one of the most foundational questions that we can answer in our lives is this one. 
What does God see when he sees me? How we answer that question in our own minds, just kind of let yourself watch your own reaction to that question. What does God see when he sees me? To be seen by God fully, as we really are, can seem to be a heavy, maybe even a frightening thing. And if we're seen, as we so often might imagine, only with judgment and a reckoning of our deservedness, then we're going to cower from that, and rightly so. But to be seen by God, as demonstrated by Jesus, with acceptance and invitation, man, that is another thing entirely. Fortunately, we don't have to be uncertain about God's attitude for us. Fortunately, the answer to that question is not up to me and my insecurities or my partial impressions. We get to see what God is like toward us by watching Jesus. It's clearly revealed in the life and teachings of Jesus that God's bias toward us is strong and consistently positive. David Benner writes in his book, Surrender to Love, God loves you deeply, recklessly, and extravagantly, just as you are. Someone say, just as you are. God knows you are a sinner, but your sins do not surprise Him, nor do they reduce in the slightest His love for you. To hear Him say our name, and I must stay at your house today. That is the beauty of God's love for each of us. Here's what happens next, verse 6. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in, with, in great excitement and joy. Jesus is the house guest who invites himself, and you don't even mind. You're glad he did it. You're glad he does. He sees each of us where we are, whether we're up a tree or anywhere else, and says to each of us, can I walk with you? May I take up residence in your heart and life today? We've only to say yes, and like Zacchaeus, welcome him gladly. I picture Jesus come into my life. I picture the night that I fully said yes to Jesus and allowed him in, and I still feel this way today. Jesus, look around. It's not much, but mi casa su casa, right? What's mine is yours. Make yourself at home. It's all he wants to do. Zacchaeus, I must be a guest at your house today. It's a dynamic that we're talking about here that is so winsome, so compelling, so enjoyable, so open, so heartfelt. It is an invitation. It is, there's a generosity here. There's an openness here, almost a fun to it. Was there a twinkle in Jesus' eyes? Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? I'm going to be a guest at your house today. Let's go. Let's leave this crowd behind. I now know how I'm spending the rest of my day, bud. It's with you. Jesus is inviting. And that's something to keep in mind. And so if we're asking ourselves, what does it mean about who we are if we want to be more like Jesus and pay attention to Him? We want to be inviting too. Amen? 
When I think about our preschool, it's been around since the what, early 80s. How many hundreds and hundreds of families have gotten a chance to feel welcome here or at our former campus? My own daughter went to preschool here. Uh, we've got people who have went to preschool here and sent their kids to preschool here. Okay, Just how many hundreds of families in our community have felt welcomed because of just that ministry alone. Or then I think of our sports leagues, been around for 25 years or so, and the hundreds and hundreds of families that we've gotten the chance, really thousands by now, uh, 300 plus kids just in our basketball league, just right now, in cheer. When I think of all the, the good stuff, all the great people we've gotten to meet, and all the ways we've just been able to invite and welcome people and get to know them, and that's being like Jesus, I hope. Is certainly our aim, right? To be an inviting, open, welcoming place. And when I think of Sunday mornings, when I think of the times that we get to enjoy together, and how often I hear people say that they felt loved when they came. First time here, they automatically felt welcomed, and I hope that's always true. We exist to arrange introductions to Jesus, right? He's so good, and we just love it when people get the chance to get closer to him. That's what's happening with Zacchaeus. But the story takes a turn. Verse 7. The people were displeased, Luke tells us. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Now this reminds me of when Jesus had a dinner party at a guy named Matthew's place. He had just invited Matthew to become his disciple. Matthew was a tax collector too. Matthew accepted Jesus' invitation and issued one of his own, invited Jesus to his house that evening for a dinner party. Mark and Luke and Matthew all tell the story. Um, by the way, Matthew is his Greek name. Levi was his Hebrew name. In uh, the passage I have up here, he's called Levi, same dude. But uh, in that culture, it was not uncommon to go by two different names based on your heritage and whatever language you were speaking at the time. Check this out. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to go to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Isn't that good news? <laughs> this was not a rare thing. This is who Jesus liked to hang out with. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other, quote, sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with, with such scum? Now, the original language is tax collectors and sinners, but the translators went this direction because in Jesus' day, that became such a derisive term, this idea, tax collectors and sinners, that it meant the same thing. People just used that. If they didn't like you, they'd call you a tax collector and a sinner. It just became shorthand for scum, despised, someone that everyone decided that it was okay to hate, right? And that's what the religious leaders, tragic, are saying to Jesus' disciples. Why does he eat with them? When Jesus heard this, he told them, check this out, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, I'm looking at you, he's saying, right? He's looking at them. But those who know they are sinners and need to repent. In other words, people who know their need, that left to myself, I'll drive my life into the ditch, relying, you can count on it. I don't want to do this by myself. I need my creator. 
I need the one who knows me and loves me, who made me, designed me, has a plan for me. I must be, at a, I must be a guest at your home today, Jesus says. This undeserved action, man, it assaults our senses. Really, the tax collector up in the tree, the crowd can't handle it. Kind of takes their breath away, like that's what's going to happen now? We've all, been, we've all showed up, Jesus. Here we are. We think you're pretty hot stuff. This is cool. We've all, we formed a crowd for you, and you're going to pick that guy and go to his house to hang out? For those who don't get it, this stiffens our neck with frustrated indignance. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, the crowd says. But we come to realize he is only ever the guest of notorious sinners. Because it's only those who know that they need his love and grace who will welcome him just that way that he finds himself. For those of us who receive it, it weakens our knees in undeserving gratitude. He picked me. He said yes to me. He invited himself into my life, and I accepted that. He called me by name. He's come to be a guest at my house, though everyone knows I'm a sinner. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And we're watching it play out in these scenes in this story. We watch it play out all the time here at Outlook. It plays out in my life, and I know it plays out in so many of yours. Verse 8. Okay, the crowd doesn't like it, right? All this typical responses. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, maybe there was a little snicker at that point for anyone who was listening, like, if, well, come on, bud, right? I will pay back four times the amount, he says. Now, quite likely, he had heard some of Jesus' teaching. At some point, he picked up on some of Jesus' ethic. Not a small portion of Jesus' teaching is about money and how we handle it. And you got to love that he didn't feel the need to overthink this, man. Jesus is right there, and he decides this is what love and obedience looks like. Look, Lord. What great words, right? Automatically, he's now Lord. He's the Lord of Zacchaeus' life. Zacchaeus is already making decisions, already saying yeses to him. Look, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. Because you've, in, you've decided to move into my life. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to do whatever's necessary, and I don't have to overthink it. This is what needs to happen. Obviously, Zacchaeus knew what Jesus was about. But what's powerful here is that just a moment of personal exposure to Jesus makes Zacchaeus want to do right, to be his best self, to give away even half his possessions without any second thought. Why? Jesus is worth it. Why? Jesus' love changes us. I back to that, I just think about that night I fully said yes to Jesus, 18 years old. Man, something happened, and it did not take long. I'm, I'm talking, it did not take an hour that after that church service that I was back home, and I knew, walking into my bedroom that night, I was not the same person I was when I had left to go to church that night at my friend's youth group. I was a different person. Just a little exposure to the true presence and love of Jesus automatically made me realize I need, I want to, I hunger to be a different person. He is already doing his work in me. And that's what we're seeing here in Zacchaeus. 
And this moment right here captures really well, speaking now about our church, about how our church approaches talking about money and giving and generosity, right? Because it's interesting that the very first thing that Zacchaeus does is he begins to then give and be generous and to make things right and to even financially sacrifice in that. Jesus, I mean, Zacchaeus did something here for Jesus. He wanted to do it. He had a good reason. Jesus was providing him a good reason. And that's how we talk about giving and money. Churches can get really sideways on this, right? It can become awkward for for any of us as we talk about giving and what that means. But we have only always approached this subject as something that we all do because we want to do it out of devotion to Jesus. Amen? Let me just uh, review something here that we haven't talked about for quite a while, but we wrapped up a a capital campaign about 10 months ago called Prepared. It was a three-year campaign that was devoted to reducing some of our mortgage and making improvements to our physical grounds out here to prepare them for future growth. That started in uh, 2019. It officially wrapped up just 10 months ago, and giving, your giving toward that campaign at the end of those three years was about 88% of the pledged amount. That's impressive. During a pandemic and all that was going on, you all proved so faithful. Anyone would be happy to see an 88% uh, uh, giving toward pledges on any kind of three-year capital campaign. But some of you, and of course I don't know who, I never know who, don't want to, But several people have kept giving toward their pledge or are exceeding it. We're now at 97% of that. And we haven't said a word about it to anyone, right? Yeah, isn't that awesome? A little over a million dollars you all pledged, and we're 97% there, and every week it climbs just a little bit more without us saying a thing in the last 10 months. It's just a desire to be generous, a desire to see God do His thing, and make room for people. Every one of those dollars, of course, are still earmarked for the original purpose of that campaign, and there's still much to do, so that's no problem. You all, through that generosity, are working to continue to set up our church for future generations of ministry because we welcome people, because we prepare, and we make space. That's why we give. We need a good reason. Amen? There are an abundant number of great reasons All we have to do is point to them. Amen? Every week we give to our ongoing ministry here. And that's making a huge difference in so many lives. Friends, we've been in this place on the globe within these couple square miles for almost 157 years with a rock-solid history of stability and faithfulness and ministry that has affected generations. We have proven to be a solid kingdom investment, generation after generation after generation. So I have no qualms whatsoever when it comes to this idea of giving, about asking you to prayerfully consider making a thorough commitment as a member of this church in this way, because I know how good it is for each of us to make such a commitment. I know what it does for us, and I know what it does for our area and for the world. A well-funded and solid, healthy local church is able to do all the good that it's meant to do through the generosity of its people. And we've been here doing just that for so, so long. So that's how we, if we're talking about what do we learn here and what does it mean for us as a local church, that's how we approach this sensitive topic of money. 
It's simply, we're generous because we found a really great reason to be generous. Jesus, he's all the reason we need. I just want you to fall so in love with Jesus and become so committed to his church and his cause that giving, that is something no one can stop you from doing because you want to. Zacchaeus wanted to, and he did. Jesus responded, verse 9, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Now, Jesus is validating Zacchaeus by saying that salvation has come to him, to his house. Salvation, a word too often reserved only for the state of being saved by God so you'll make it to heaven one day. No, Jesus is saying salvation is here and it's evidence because of Zacchaeus' heart change. And thus his actions and his motives and his ethics have changed. He also states that Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham, a true son of Abraham. Abraham, the father of the faith, revered, called a friend of God. He says, no, this is, the, this is true faith right here. And he is a true son of Abraham. Those religious leaders would have counted themselves quite proudly to be sons of Abraham. But he's pointing to the tax collector, the despised tax collector, and said, no, this guy's got it. He's the true friend of God, the son of Abraham. Zacchaeus was in his lineage through his great faith in action. James talks about this. In James 2, this is one of my absolute favorite verses in all of scriptures, James 2.22. You see that his, this is speaking of Abraham, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Let me say that one more time. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he blabbered on about or posted on social media. No. No, by what he did. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted to him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called God's friend. So it's no small thing when Jesus points to Zacchaeus and says, this is a true son of Abraham. The application to the crowd is clear. How dare you consider yourself so righteous that you relegate Zacchaeus to a place outside of God's grace? In your smug assurance of your own cleanliness, you've done the dirtiest deed of all. Set yourself up above another and judged him to be less than you. He's God's friend, Jesus says. And Jesus had no tolerance for this. And we don't either. We want to be like him and learn from those who came near him. No room to judge, to put yourself above someone else. Man, we are all in this thing together all in equal desperate need of Jesus. Amen? It wraps up like this. Jesus says, For the Son of Man, that's referring to himself, using an Old Testament term that would have made a lot of real important sense to everyone listening. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. This is how Jesus puts a bow on this whole thing. This is what's happening, he says. This is why I'm here, to seek and to save those who are lost. We take our cues from Jesus. More than that, we really we know we are to be about what Jesus is about, and this is what he's saying he is about. He is very much about finding and rescuing any and everyone who has lost their way, and that's all of us. So it's the best reason of all. It is our why. It's why we are people who live and worship genuinely. We are people who serve and lead justly, who share and give generously, who invite and welcome joyfully. That's who we strive to be. 
If the kind of church I'm describing is the kind of church you'd like to learn how to be a bigger part of, let me invite you to something we're calling Membership FAQ. You heard about it in the video a little earlier. It's next Sunday after second service. Appetizers, childcare are on us. You don't have to RSVP, but you certainly can. There's a Facebook uh, event that you could RSVP to if you'd like. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save me. It's a great way to turn a scripture into a prayer of praise. Jesus came to seek and to save me. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the transforming possibilities of divine love, the strongest force in the universe. Philip Yancey writes in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, the Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Hindu Doctrine of Karma, the Jewish Covenant, the Muslim Code of Law, each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. That's why church is so essential and so beautiful, because it's where we live and celebrate and learn this very love. There is nothing more important in life than learning to love God and be loved by God. Jesus shows us how. So friends, climb the tree. Look for Jesus. Let him do what he wants most, which is come dine in your home and bring his salvation with him. Let him seek and save you again today. Whether you're out of your mind, out of options, or out on a limb, I pray that you will find the love of Jesus who loves you and never lets you go. That's what we cling to each week when we take the bread and the cup. If you grabbed one of these on your way in, I'd invite you to go ahead and take that in your hands. Every week we are reminding ourselves when we follow his example and his direction that he seeks and finds and saves us today. And that this is how he did it. This is how we know what love is, the Apostle John said. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we learn that we're loved by what Jesus did for us on the cross. Let's take the bread and remember his body given for us. Like we said earlier, stories like this one keep getting told and retold in human lives every day. It keeps going. And in a, in, in a real sense, every Sunday, we climb. We climb that tree. We, we, we get to a place where we want to see Jesus most clearly. We climb above the crowd, the noise of our lives, so we can get near him. <laughs> and reliably, every Sunday, he looks at us and says, I'm coming to your house today. I want to live in your life today. Let's thank him for that as we take the cup and remember him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this powerful word, this great story, this true story of you, Jesus, seeking and saving Zacchaeus. Lord, help us to, to find your answer to that question. What, does, what do you see when you see me? What do you see when you see each of us, Lord? Help us to accept the answer that says, you see someone you love deeply. You see someone you know everything about, and you love deeply. Help us to be people who can accept 
that love and receive that gift. Everything flows from that. In Jesus' name, amen.